The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. I have just a few things to say before we get into our lesson, but we'll be preaching out of 1 Peter chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there. But first of all, now let me tell you how much I appreciate the invitation to be here with you here at Ironton. I've heard of this good church for many years. I've seen it from the outside a number of times when I was moving around in this part of the country, and it's just a blessing to be here with you. And I'll have to, even though Cliff's not here, I'll have to say how much we appreciate Cliff and his good work, appreciate the elders of this congregation. And we have a special connection, and I think you already know this, but a special connection with the Merle family. Uh, and Jim intimated that as he was here. I always uh, kind of get a shiver when I see Jim because uh, I, I see John, I get the same shiver. But when I see Jim, I see... John's brother when he was Jim's age. Now, John, you've, well, never mind. <laughs> Over the years, we all changed a little bit, but uh, John's brother, Don, was uh, a great friend of mine. We were together in LaGrange, Georgia for eight years, and uh, both preached in that town for eight years, and uh, then, of course, remained friends uh, thereafter, uh, of course, until his, until his uh, death, and he Great man. Uh, Don Merle was one of those fellas that uh, sold for a whole lot less than he was worth. We'll put, that, put it that way. And uh, we've enjoyed our association with Jim over the years. It's, uh, it's just been a tremendous, beautiful part of our lives. The Bible says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in all manner of the way you live. He says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear or respect, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain manner of life conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Let's go back up into the passage for just a moment. He says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in all manner of the way you live, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The Bible says in Psalm 69 and or rather 96 in verse 9, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. There's a particular kind of beauty associated with holiness. 
And that beauty is spiritual, not physical. You don't have to be a pretty person to manifest spiritual beauty and the spiritual beauty of holiness. As with all positive characteristics, the holiness of God is infinite. And His holiness is one of the things that makes us want to worship Him. Now, what I'd like for us to do is to think a little bit about the concept of holiness. Because we look around in the religious world and we see that there are you know, numerous churches that even refer to themselves as holiness churches. We also we, we see the word holy and holiness used frequently in a lot of situations, but it's not used always in a biblical context. Because the definition of the word that's translated holiness in the New Testament is really rather simple. If you go back far enough behind the word, if you go back into you know, trying to examine where that word came from, the etymology, what you find out is that it really comes out of the concept and idea of cutting something. Cutting something and then moving it away from that which you cut. Like, for instance, if you take, uh, you take uh, like you got pork tenderloin. You know, everybody likes pork tenderloin. Everybody knows what it is. If you take that big knife and you cut that tenderloin and separate those two pieces of meat, that's the concept and idea of holiness, particularly the verb that's translated to be holy. Now the idea there is that the way it comes over into spiritual usage, and it's used very often in spiritual context, the idea there is that you are separating yourself, that there is a separation that takes place from the world and yourself. When you become a child of God, you are separated from the world. That's what it means to, to be holy, to become holy in the first place. You know, there's a, the Bible is, it helps us so much in, in understanding the elements of the world that we want to be separate from. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. It says, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the idea there, when a person's baptized into Christ, remember who preached the sermon on Acts, in Acts chapter 2? And who preached Acts 2.38? It was Peter. And he was talking about, you know, repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Well, when, when you do that, you begin a process of separation from these worldly things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That, that sums up everything that bothers us in terms of temptation. So the thing when we look at this, uh, the beauty of holiness, or in Him we are judged to be holy, which was the topic, when, you, when you're baptized into Christ, you then can be judged to be holy. Because the blood of Christ is the very thing that creates a state of holiness in your soul or on your soul or associated there with your soul. And, and that's what he's talking about when he talks about you're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ just simply separates us from the world. 
Something you you know you you start to you start the process by desiring to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and uh, you complete that process when you are baptized into Christ, in terms of entering into a state of holiness or separation from the sinful things of the world, but then you continue the process throughout the rest of your life, and that's that's the thing about holiness that sometimes we don't get. You know, the passage in, in 1 Peter there, he uses Leviticus 11. Now, Leviticus 11, Leviticus 11 is all about the Levitical priesthood, naturally. And, and the whole concept and idea is how those fellows maintained themselves in the state of separation from the world. See, they couldn't touch bad stuff, you know. Uh, you know, we don't, in, in the new covenant, the covenant of Christ that we live under, you know, we might even work in, in, a, in a nasty environment. But we know that doesn't affect us spiritually. But if a person was going to serve as a priest under the uh, Mosaic Covenant, the person had to maintain a, a, spirit, uh, well, a spiritual or uh, a connection with holiness that was emblematic of what should have been in their hearts. So, you know, you, like a, a priest under the Old Covenant, he couldn't be an undertaker. Because in, in the situation that they were in, they viewed if you had to touch a dead body, you would be unclean. And there were certain things you had to go through to reclaim yourself. If you think about it, they really couldn't even be a doctor in the sense we understand doctors today. But the purpose for that, all those things in the Law of Moses that we find weird and unusual... Those things had a purpose, and that is to prepare our minds for what the actuality of the spiritual condition is, which is revealed in the New Covenant. Those things were types, and the New Covenant has the antitype, is what it's called. It has the fulfillment of the prophecy, have the fulfillment of the situation. So what the, what the Old Testament priests were, they, they were told, be ye holy because I'm holy. That's what he told them in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Now, be ye holy, for I am holy. God is holy, and so who and whatever has to do with Him has to be holy. Now, Peter takes that situation from the, Levit the Levitical world. Uh, Jim gave me too much supper tonight, and my tongue's tied. It was, it was good, though, brother. But listen, you take, you take this situation under the Levitical priesthood, and what is the spiritual lesson that comes from what those guys had to go through? It's tied up in that expression from Leviticus 11.44. Be ye holy, for I am holy. The I there is God. And we're to be holy because God is holy. And that's, you know, you say, well, now that's great. I mean, that's wonderful. I mean, that's a goal. That's my goal. That's my, how do I do that? How in the world am I supposed to be holy, separated from the sinful things of the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, proud of the How am I supposed to do that? I'm just a human being. I might be a young one. I might be an older one. I'm just a human being. How am I supposed to do that? Well, well the word... Be. What's the word be? That's the, the verb to be, right? 
All right, the verb to be is present active indicative, present tense. Was that, was that, it denotes, even in the English language, it denotes a continual state. The idea of being holy is not something you get to and you stand there and there you are. That's all you're going to, you're just as holy as you're going to get. You're not going to get any more holier. And you're, you're not, uh, not going to go backwards or forwards. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that holiness is a continual process involving faithful obedience to the Word of God. You start it when you obey the gospel, and then you continue on down the road. You continue to be holy in that sense. And, and you know, we know that we need help in doing that, don't we? And 1 John chapter 1 gives us some insight into how we can maintain that state of holiness, that state of separation from the world. Now, we know we're, not, we're talking about spiritual separation. You and I are in the world. We're not of the world, right? That's what John said. All right. But the thing is, we've got to live in such a fashion to keep ourselves spiritually separated from the things that we know are all around us. You know, you, you're driving down the road and you see this big sign uh, with, uh, you know, you drink this beer or whatever it is. You, you, you see that. Uh, you, haven't, you haven't shut your eyes and pretended it's not there. But spiritually, you've separated yourself from that whole concept and idea of thinking. So you go to 1 John, and here's, here's the thing we want to remember every time when we talk about anything that, that uh, is a continual process for the mind of God to deal with the human mind. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declaring to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. So the Holy Ghost, you know, be ye holy for I am holy. God's holy and there is nothing but light in Him. He's altogether holy. And as, you know, like you and me, there are going to be some things that come into our minds, maybe even our mouths and even maybe our bodies that are not holy, but not Him. He's always completely and totally holy. You know, they, they, uh, nobody, have you ever been accused, I won't say because I can't point at a kid and say this, but you know, sometimes Christian kids are, are accused of being goody two-shoes. You ever heard that? You haven't heard it? Maybe that's something in my generation. You think you're better than I am. Ever heard anybody say that to you? You think you're better than us because you won't go, you won't go out drinking. You won't go out uh, doing these things that everybody else is doing. That, you think you're better than us. And you try to explain holiness. Some people get the idea that what you're saying is you never have to deal with sin. Do you ever say, do you ever think that about yourself? The answer is no, you don't. You know you have to deal with sin. Sin comes at us from every direction and all the time. We have to deal with it. But the fact is, we're not going to give in to it because it's going to take every bit of our... And when we do give in to it, what happens? Have we given up all of our holiness? Have we given up everything in terms of our relationship with God? Not according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not the truth. Now look, 
Be ye holy as I am holy. That be ye holy means to maintain yourself in the process of continual practice of holiness. Separation from sin. It's the same thing John says when he says don't walk in sin. We have to walk in the light as He is in the light. If we walk in darkness, we're in trouble. You may find yourself in darkness at a certain time, certain place. You may look around and say, it's all dark around me. I'm in trouble here. But you don't stay there. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. So that's the key to maintaining holiness, is to maintain faithfulness. You maintain faithfulness to God, you stay where He wants you to be, and you keep walking down the road He wants you to walk down, then you can practice the process of not only being holy, but coming holy and remaining holy. Same way you do walking in the light as He is in the light. Now, He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We lie. We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about that. If we say that we have no sin, you know one of the most terrible things anybody can do is to get the idea that they don't have any sinful leanings or whatsoever. Now, I'm not talking about original sin. That's wrong. You know, Calvinism's not right. Y'all have had lessons on that. Not going to go back over that ground. But what John is saying is, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. Part of the human condition that is required for us to manifest is humility. Be humble about our spiritual condition. You know, I, you have to understand, you know, when you uh, sing some of the songs that we have, I don't know if it's that way in your book, Such a Worm as I. Somebody says, I don't like that. As a matter of fact, you know what? It was changed one time. What was it changed to? Anybody remember? Such a one, Such a one as I. Well, yeah, that conveys a good thought and all of that. But what's wrong with worm? Well, we don't like to think of, Brother Irby, we don't like to think of ourselves as worms. Well, I don't particularly like to think of myself as a worm here. I'd, I'd be a mighty big, ugly worm. However, the concept and idea of the old, the old lyrics to the song was pretty close to right. When you get right down to it, when you take the pretty, pretty shell off of us, what do we got? We're just, we're just people struggling. That's all we are. And sometimes we make terrible mistakes. The problem isn't the making of the mistake. Of course, you want to make less, fewer mistakes as the older you get, the more experienced you get, the more faithful you become, you make fewer mistakes. That's the pattern. That's why old Christians are such a great example for us. Now, however, if along the way you convince yourself that you're just fine the way you are, that is a blockade against faithfulness and holiness and, and everything that goes with it. We have to remember all the way through life that were not for Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed on the cross, we would have no hope. Not a little bit of hope. Not a moderate amount of hope. 
not an infinitesimal amount of hope, we'd have no hope. And our only hope is to be in Christ, where that faithfulness can be manifested with the reward that He promises. Now, this idea of holiness. Holiness is made possible by the blood of Jesus. He suffered greatly to save us. He sacrificed Himself. I, can, I often think about this because uh, as, as a, I think a pretty normal guy and uh, having had a, a background that was out in the world for a long time before I met my wife and uh, she, she taught me the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and helped me, encouraged me along the line where I could be a faithful gospel preacher, at least try to be, I'm trying to be every day. I think about if you think about how, how horrible it would be to know, after you've studied your Bible, you come to know these things, to know that you are separated not unto God, which is holiness, but you're separated from God by sin. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, the Bible says, God says, I don't even look on it. God doesn't even look at sin. When you're sinning, He's not looking at you. I mean, He knows. See, God doesn't have to have eyes to know things. But the expression in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 is to say that, that God does not allow Himself to be in the presence of sinfulness, except in one instance, and that's to sacrifice Himself for the sins of the people that are doing the sin. That's kind of a beautiful thought. And whenever we get to the place in life where we feel like, you know, I just, I'm just tired of this. I'm just tired of working so hard to be a child of God. Yeah, we haven't worked in that hard. All the hard part's been done for us, hasn't it? Jesus did all the hard part for us. God made it possible for us to live in holiness. When we think of God like the psalmist did, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. There's our, there's our emotional stance to take. Uh, we cannot, we know we can't all be like God altogether. Now, we're weak when it comes to sin, but we can be made strong. We can get stronger. And one way that we can get stronger is to think in terms of the beauty of holiness, that line from Psalm 96. Now, so far are you with me? We've defined holiness, we've compared the process, the process of holiness to that which John spoke of in 1 John chapter 1. We've looked at a few more things concerning the definition of holiness. Now, this expression that I want to center in on, which is one that I hadn't thought about before, I was, I was uh, suggested to me to do something along this line. The beauty of holiness. Now, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm 75. And uh, I've got a granddaughter. Uh, who's, who's 13 years old in here? Anybody 13 years old? If you are, you won't raise your hand in front of everybody, will you? Well, my granddaughter is absolutely beautiful. And she's 13 years old. Now, she thinks she's 
18 or 20 or 35, but, but she, is, she is a beautiful little girl. She rides horses and she plays basketball and she goes to school and, and she does all the things. And she, let's see, has this been sent out? I can't tell you about her boyfriend. Not theoretically, officially a boyfriend. But you know, she has that too. Uh, anyhow, I better go. I, just in case, I could get killed over this. <laughs> but she's a beautiful girl. She's a beautiful girl. It's like, and somebody says, well, who's beautiful? Everybody in here is beautiful in our own way. But the young people have classic beauty, right? I want to tell you something. You don't believe this. You won't believe this. But there was a day when I was really a pretty good-looking fellow. Man, I had dark brown hair, you know, and I wasn't so fat. And it was just everything was just so lovely. But see what happens to you? See what happens to you? It's happened to me. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to happen to... See, some of y'all, this fellow here, that's a good-looking fellow right there. That's a good-looking fellow. See, I, but then one day, you see, you see that gentleman right there? Or, or this... Is your daddy in here? See, you, there you go. See, that's where you're going to be one day, man. There's nothing you can do about it. But we are tied up in our society with physical beauty. You know, when they're trying to sell something, do they get an ugly person to sell something on television? No, they pick the prettiest one they can find. That's what they do. And it, I think that this obsession with physical beauty has an effect on all of us. Uh, a, wh a while back, I stopped being the regular every Sunday preacher at the Hop Street Church of Christ in Athens. And so both of my boys, who are bearded fellows, both of my boys said, Daddy, what you ought to do, you've always wanted to grow a beard, you ought to go ahead and grow a beard now. And so I, I did. And so I got the beard, and then... My wife, Ginger, I wish she was here, but my daughter-in-law had surgery. She's taking care of her a little bit. But anyway, I said, Ginger, what do you think? Now, I fully expected her to say, mm, no, no. And if she had said no, you wouldn't see a beard. It would be gone. But she said, you know, I like that. Uh -huh. So I got, you know, my chest came out. I walked around. I said, boy, she likes my beard. Wonderful. And then I went and looked in the mirror and realized that one thing my beard does is cover up a fair amount of my face. <laughs> so nobody can really tell what you look like when you have a beard. But aren't we, see, so I'm saying that this obsession in our culture with physical beauty affects everybody. It affects everybody. Now, God made you and me able to appreciate aesthetic beauty. When we look at something that's pretty, we know it's pretty. How do we know it's pretty? Because God made us capable of knowing that. It's probably tied up, the philosophy of aesthetics is probably tied up to symmetry. You know, Picasso, anybody remember Picasso, the, the painter, the Spanish painter, you know? He put the nose in the middle and two eyes on one side. Now, we don't want that, right? We know that might be a, not, a neat painting, but what it is, we don't want to look like that. We want one eye over here and one eye over here. That's, that's aesthetic symmetry, you see. 
So God made us capable of understanding beauty of all types or else we could not appreciate beauty of all types. But the forces of evil, and there are such things as the forces of evil, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, there are forces of evil. Forces of evil, that is the influence of evil and the devil, frequently take good things, beautiful things, and make them into bad things. And that's something that we just need to face because the devil, who is the first of the rebellious angels, a rebellious archangel as far as I can figure it out, the devil wants to lead people astray. So Paul said in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to do what? Stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, not holiness, wickedness in high places. Whereupon take upon you the whole armor of God that having that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray all the time. So we are equipped to deal with spiritual wickedness. What we need to understand about spiritual wickedness, go to Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, is that what happens when wickedness is in control of any situation, good things are called bad, and bad things are called good. So you take some, a person, a young man or a young woman, that, is, that it has physical beauty, has uh, uh, beautiful aesthetics from the point of view of symmetry. You take that person, and that person is, has received a tremendous gift from God. Because none of you decided how you look. None of us decided how we look. God did that. And there's, I joke about one day I was pretty, you know. They put up some pictures of me for a 50th birthday one time. And a little lady at church, you remind me of her, she came up and she, she looked at that picture. She said, that can't be you. Because that guy was so pretty. We all go through a stage where we look pretty good. You're, you're in it. You're, you're in it. You'll be fine. But those things change. What happens is that in our world, there are sinful behaviors associated with the attractiveness of a human being. Take a human being that's an attractive human being for a young person or a middle-aged person or an older person. What happens is that's a good thing that God gave you. But the forces of evil described there in Ephesians chapter 6 turn it into a bad thing. And what, they, what it does is it wrecks holiness. First of all, you start thinking, I look great. I look great. Well, you... If you're going to go somewhere and try to make a positive impression, you ought to look as good as you can. And while you're young, go ahead and do that because there's going to come a time that no matter what you do, you still won't look that good. But 
Don't buy into the idea that being an attractive human being gives you an open door to behavior that is unchristian. Now, somebody says, well, Bill, what are you going to talk about now? You're going to talk about modesty? You're going to talk about all that sort of thing? Well, it's important to talk about that. And I'm, I'm quite sure that your local men here take care of those issues. But I'm going to put it to you this way. And I've tried to come up with a way that everybody can understand this. A Christian man or a Christian woman, one of the great problems in maintaining holiness today is when Christian men and Christian women conduct themselves in such a way to create sexual tension in the opposite sex. Somebody says, well, what are you talking about? Well, sexual tension, uh, there is a word in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, it's called evil concupiscence. That's in the old King James. And what that really means is wanting something that you've got no business with. If you want something you got no business with it, that's evil concupiscence. And you got two, say two, two people, and say one of them's a Christian. That Christian person, they can't help it if they're pretty. It's nice if they're handsome. That's wonderful. That's part of life. That's a, that's a blessing, right? You can go like this. Yeah, that's a blessing. However, you never use that blessing if you're interested in maintaining holiness. You never use that blessing to create sexual tension in a person of the opposite sex. I say sexual tension because that, that's, that's language we can understand because we know what it is. Everybody who's been alive for a while has been in a situation where they've experienced sexual tension. You know, you feel... And, and sometimes it can be fine because you end up uh, marrying somebody because you have that magnetism with that person. However, if you create that situation, try to allure a person away from their state of purity to a state of impurity, what are you giving up? You're giving up holiness. You're just giving it up. Because you're not separated from sin anymore. You're separated to sin when you do that. And so it's tricky. It's, it's, I'm not saying any of this stuff's easy. It's not easy. Because sometimes you don't even realize what's going on until it's already going on. But what I'm saying is if you want to maintain a, a state of the process of holiness, this personal holiness, not a state of being, but a state of, a process, rather, of becoming. It's, it's simply a matter of being on guard with your, your life, all throughout your life. It doesn't mean you have to be stuck in a corner. It doesn't mean you're a prude or something like that. What it means is that you made a decision. I'm going to follow God. And I know God has given me some blessings. And I know God has put me in this world to do the best I can. And I know I'm not perfect. And I know I'm not going to be perfect. However, I'm going to work every day to see that I move along the lines of what He wants me to be. I want to become Him. I can't. I'm smart enough to know I can't be God. But I have to move in that direction. When He talks about 
We have to conduct ourselves in our stay here in fear. Verse 17, out of respect, out of respect for God. That's what we have to do. It's, we're not talking about cowering fear or thinking we're in danger of God putting His big thumb down and smashing us for our sinful thought. We want to be holy because He's holy. I tell you, it's, it's a lifelong situation. Listen, anybody in here who's been a Christian for a long time will tell you, if, if they, you have a chance to sit and talk with them, pick out somebody you admire, you'll find that they have gotten, if, if they maintain their faithfulness, they haven't arrived. You know, like Paul said in Philippians 3, they haven't, he count not myself to have arrived. I don't have apprehended. I haven't got a hold of it yet. But I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.13, that's a pressing toward the mark. That's the process of obtaining holiness practicing holiness and getting to be closer to God. Now, uh, I hope when we talked about Jesus being the, the factor that His blood makes us whole, hope we understand that our holiness is a gift from God. We have to exercise our will to conform our wills to God. That gives us access into that holiness. But the factor that makes us holy always is the blood of Jesus. That's the only way we can hope for that holiness. And that's the only redeeming factor. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, that's the only redeeming factor that we can ever experience in our lives. It puts us on the road to holiness. All right, not only is this the right thing to do, it's one of those situations where the right thing to do is the best thing to do. The right thing to do is the best thing to do. I've been doing local work, uh, just being a local preacher, that's my primary activity for the last 45 years. You know, I do fill-in stuff now, but uh, I, was, I was the guy that people came to see you know, with one of the elders or however it was. And every single time, young people listen to me, every single time, older people listen to me, somebody came in and they had given in to some sinful circumstance and put at risk their personal holiness. If they had a modicum of faith left in them, if they had a little tiny ounce of love for God still left in them, they actually—they just—they tore. You know, it means to be torn up. They were torn up inside for what they've done. You don't have to experience that. You might, and I pray you'll take after those people who turned the corner and went back to faithfulness, went back to holiness, and, and, and uh, repented of their sins. But it's a tr listen, to live for God is not an onerous task. It's not bad. It's good. Amen. 
to live for God, to wake up every day and say, listen, I don't know, I'm not that, you have to say to yourself, I need all the help I can get, but I'm going to do everything I can today to be holy like God is holy. And you say, well, that's an insurmountable thing to even think about. No, it is. If you think about it for 40 years, what if you think about it for the next day? And if that's too long, why don't you think about it for the next two or three hours? It may be the next hour or the next few minutes. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're tempted, if you say you're out shopping somewhere and somebody lays a temptation on you, whether it's uh, having to do with a substance or a personal relationship or, or somebody comes along with some juicy gossip and, and wants to tear down somebody else, you don't have to live with, you don't have to face that forever, do you? You just have to face it right that minute. And you call up on your reserves from God and you say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going that way. I'm not going that way. And for that moment, what have you done? For the moment you refuse to sin, whatever the sin is, for that moment, what have you done? Been holy. Been holy. You say, well, I'm glad they caught me then because sometimes I'm weak. You are weak sometimes. But you don't worry about that. You worry about the minute you're in. That's why it says, be ye holy as I am holy. Folks, listen. The Holy Spirit does not choose His verbs casually. For the moment we're living, that's the moment we're to be holy. Now, talked a lot about holiness. I hope some of it has been a benefit to you. The situation is, however, that you... I don't know what your situation is. I, I don't know when I'm visiting like this. I don't know who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. I don't know if somebody's been sitting in this auditorium tonight thinking, well, you know, I, I need to take advantage of the blood of Christ. Because I go out in the world, I face all these temptations, but I don't have the blood of Christ that keeps on cleansing me from my sin. I don't have that relationship. Well, you can have that relationship. I'm sure there's water in this baptistry. You can be baptized into Christ to be raised to walk in newness of life. And if you have been away from the Lord, if you have decided, you know, tonight, well, listen, I need to, I need to restart myself on this road of holiness. This process of holiness. You can do that tonight. God's, God's willing to help you. You believe He's right here willing to help you? The instrumentality of the help comes from the Word of God as it's preached and taught, but also as it works through your mind. You think about all these situations in life where you need God's help. We want you to know that tonight you have it if you need it. But if you need to respond in some public way to the gospel of Christ, to come back to Christ or to come to Him in the first place, you may do so as together we stand and sing. <laughs>